You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping solar retailers deliver more value, win happier customers and generate more sales through referrals and upsell. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and the EV focused, the driven. And joining me as usual is Solar Analytics, Nigel Morris. Um, probably need a change of title for you, Nigel. Just live wire rider, I suppose. Would probably be <laughs> suffice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, I still have the live wire, but but you know, can I say more importantly, more excitedly, I actually became a granddad yesterday. Um, oh, Nigel, it's true. Straight Felix Morris, latest Felix generation Morris. of the Morris clan. Our name Felix. is Nick Morris, you know, we actually changed our name from something else to Morris when we jumped ship a few generations ago. But Felix is keeping the tradition alive. Good work, Felix. Good work, Charlotte. Well, congratulations, everyone. But now you've just raised a couple of really important questions. You jumped ship, please explain. And does Felix have any historical references in your family? No, uh, there is a bit of a tradition of uh, some family names uh, coming from various parts of our uh, long-standing tradition. But no, uh, look, uh, Charlotte and Bobby are all totally responsible for all the naming in our clan. They chose Morris because we haven't had a Morris born for a while. There's been some in his clan and some in ours. But anyway, I digress. It's wonderful. Uh, he's a beautiful, healthy eight pounds too. Mum and Bub are all doing well. Everyone's happy. The only disappointing news, of course, I can't go and see my daughter. I couldn't be there for the birth. If anything went wrong, we couldn't cross oh. the border to support her, which was nerve-wracking. So we're all very, very um, grateful that everyone's well and, you know, just can't wait to go and see her um, and him and, and everyone. So, yeah, anyway. Yes. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah, is, this, is, this, is this the first time? First grandchild. Yeah, I have Granddad, uh, extra, Granddad I Morris, eh? That's right. I have privileges now, my friends. You thought I was <laughs> bad before. Oof. Oh, God. You'll be getting a sidecar soon. <laughs> no, I've actually had a sidecar. Don't go there. Oh. <laughs> you went a bit early, I think. When Charlotte, was, when Charlotte was, how do you think she, I gave her the bug. When she was a little, a wee little baby, she was strapped into my sidecar and, and bobbing around. Yeah. Fantastic. We're supposed to be talking about solar, Nigel, but you've completely yeah, distracted I'm, me now. Um, I'm sorry. Um, you might have to keep no, going no, on. No, no, no. no what has been going, going on? on? What has been going on? Where do well, we start? Look, um, gosh, well, no, why don't you kick it off with some COVID? Um, you've done a bit of a survey from people around, um, well, just been the informal one, but getting feedback from people. And mm. it starts, well, I mean, we know at the moment, um, it's sort of Tuesday afternoon when we're recording this. I don't think anything's going to change anytime soon, but we've got the ACT, we've got Victoria, we've got New South Wales, we've got the Northern Territory, well, most of, a lot of Darwin and uh, Catherine and Palmerston. Um, there's an awful lot of the country locked down. There certainly is. And, and you know, uh, solar is not immune. Um, like so many other industries, there are all sorts of way that it's, ways that it's affected, whether it's like we have in many places right now that crews can't get into many homes or, or you know, people can't operate their businesses uh, particularly effectively to, to complete shutdowns. So the whole range is in play, um, um, you know, just as, you know, one litmus of, of kind of, 
I think, you know, almost as bad as it gets is someone I was chatting with in Western Sydney recently. Uh, they were explaining to me that in, in, in rough terms, you know, about 30% of people who are solar buyers who would have been, who were planning to go ahead with solar are, are, are very worried or in isolation or, you know, don't want to have contact with anyone. And so they're cancelling their jobs or pausing their jobs indefinitely. Another 30% or so are in financial distress and, um, you know, have lost work or their family have lost work or they've got large families that they're supporting or whatever else. And so, you know, it's indefinitely paused. Uh, so they're not proceeding either. Um, and roughly the remaining 30% are saying, look, I'm stuck at home. I'm working from home. I need support for my energy bill. Please go ahead as soon as you possibly can. And, and you know, there's a whole lot of additional logistics burden associated with, you know, redeploying crews and potentially vaccination issues that are popping up for workers and all sorts of new complications, let alone changing regulations on an almost daily basis. So it is, it's, it's a, terribly challenging business operational environment for, for most businesses and, and solar is certainly affected as well. And uh, in a minute, listeners, Giles Listen. will find the mute button. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. found it. <laughs> um, the anti-mute button, I should say. Um, the um, I can't imagine just the, the difficulties, particularly in New South Wales, where nothing is very clear. I mean, I can't make head or tail of the regulations, even just to go down for a surf in the morning and go to the shops. So with exactly. people in Sydney and just, yeah, as you said, going in between local government areas, where you need to be vaccinated, how many people can go, how many people can, you know, geez. It's very tricky. Yeah, it's very tricky. And everyone's in the same boat. So, you know, like everyone uh, I chat to all day long, I say, well, you know, but we've just got to get on with it. Um, mm. So that's what everyone's doing. And, you know, people dig deep in these kinds of situations and find ways through and adapt. And, um, you know, that's all we can do. So, you know, mm. fingers crossed. Good luck to everyone out there. You know, hang in there. It won't last forever. Things will change. Now, uh, one of the, uh, what, I guess, what we could call long COVID impacts is um, is just some some of the pricing pressures. Now, we've talked about this in many different podcasts, pricing pressures mm. for various reasons, and a lot of wholesalers struggling, and some installers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we, um, Sophie, um, um, Sophie uh, Voroth actually wrote this really great story this week on Renew Economy, talking about the sort of the pricing pressures and a bit of the switch to the lower cost um, modules and inverters um, because the prices of the other ones are sort of starting to rise too high, and people's sort of you know people's budgets um, are not going that far, um, particularly with uh, shipping um, cost pressures. So that's been that's a, that's like a long COVID effect. It's just accumulated over time. The shipping's been shipping's been disrupted for you know one form or one reason or another, and apparently the shipping cost containers is just like absolutely shot up. So um, we've had a people a couple of people talking to us about just the frustrations that they've had and actually sort of getting supplies either for solar farms, but it's also impacting sort of wholesalers and distributors and things like that. And, um, logistics and also, is, logistics is a nightmare at the moment or across the board. doesn't matter what industry you're on in, and, and, you know, on the freight issue, I was literally chatting to a couple of big wholesalers the other day who were talking about 15 to 20% price rises on, on, um, you know, containers, solar volumes of solar panels as a direct consequence, mostly of freight. Hmm. Jeez. 
Yeah, um, it was just it's, it's just been astonishing just seeing some of the price rises um, of con- container costs and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, what else have we got, Nigel? Well, um, how about a, how about <laughs> why don't we do a why don't I do a mea culpa? It's not the first mea culpa I've had to do on this show. Uh, we should start a <laughs> we should start a segment called mea culpas. Um, but uh, no, but this is kind of a good one because um, I was talking about the fact that um, you know uh, the the number of available rooftops has um, has reduced dramatically, which in which is very true in some areas. Um, but my old friend Gavin Gilchrist actually rang me and said, "Nigel, I take umbrage." Uh, and the fact that you're implying that there aren't still plenty of rooftops because I'm I'm here running a little uh, community solar gig in, in, in the inner west of Sydney, inner western community solar. Um, Gav's sort of done this as a little project for the last few years along with a bunch of other great people and they've really done wonderful things in the inner west, getting more solar on roofs and helping people with good independent advice. And, and he said there's tons of roofs here. Only 11% of the roofs in the inner west have solar um, and uh, there's lots and lots of opportunity here. And um, he prompted me actually to get online and have a look and it reminded me that where i live in narrabeen um only has a 16 percent, so we're a little bit better than the inner west but Hmm. not that much better and still tons of roofs and i can look i can look out my window and see roofs that don't have solar here that could have solar here um so it it, (laughs) i do apologize uh uh um gavin for being so flippant around my remarks about how challenging it's becoming i agree there are still tons of roofs uh, that have a great solar opportunity. Um, the APP, APVI have a wonderful bunch of um, software tools on their website, and it enabled me to very go, quickly go and have a look at the uptake in postcodes. Giles, well done. You're in one of the top postcodes with almost 50%, 47.2% of is the room. right? Yeah, that is right. That's up till the end of 2020, I think, maybe even a little bit more recent than that. Um, so, you know, more than half the roofs in, in your postcode. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a really, really nice story. That's great. Yeah. I'd be interested to know how many of the people in um, in our postcode with 50% roofs and how many people are actually off-grid or got batteries as well, because I reckon that would be pretty high up here as as well, considering that most people are on sort of skinny lines or just want to be off-grid just for the sake of it anyway. I uh, I think you're right, and I don't know that that uh, I don't know of any off grid percentage by postcode data actually that exists. Battery data slowly starting to trickle out, but um, you know it's still pretty hard to know where all the batteries are. Um, but yeah, you could be right. Mm. Well, it's interesting. Well, Queensland's now just in- implemented that system where was it just Queensland or is it everywhere now that you um they actually you actually got to say where the batteries are, so they're just doing like a battery finding exercise. I believe that's part of the clean energy regulators' requirements for some of the system information so that they can try and collect that. I think I should know that. Mm. Mm. I think it is. <laughs> I think it is. Mm. I think I should know that. But, of course, there's probably no way, apart from asking every individual installer about where all the um, off-grid batteries are, there's just... Um, Probably no way of knowing. No, off-grid, you know, and you've only, you don't have to go too far from your place, Giles, and you'll find a bunch of uh, little shacks, um, maybe thousands and thousands of little dwellings and shacks just over the hill where I used to live. Uh, and, um, you know, I think uh, when I lived there, I had a couple of hundred amp hours of 
lead-acid batteries and uh, I upgraded from a 40-watt panel to a 64-watt panel. Oh, uh, luxury. luxury. Right, right on the cutting edge. Um, but, and we did have micro-hydro backup, and uh, that was 100% off-grid initially. Um, we ended up having a micro-grid backup as well, and there are quite a few little micro-grids operating up there that have probably been going for 20 or 30 years now. So there's certainly some out there, but um, nothing like the battery capacity that you see these days at the prices you get. Not even the micro hydro. I just I always imagine the micro hydro to be quite sort of um, quite quite significant, but I guess probably not. You need a you need a, you need a swift running creek, don't you? You um, well, we can do a whole episode on micro hydro, and I love micro hydro, and I've seen the most glorious applications for micro hydro. And we used to build one that was a bit over a kilowatt, so it could deliver about twelve kilowatt hours a day, which okay. in conjunction with some solar panels was fabulous. And for off-grid, it's um, almost miraculous because when you do have the right water flow, it's a steady, it meets a baseload. You can basically, you know, you keep your batteries floating beautifully and just keep them up at a nice level and then you just dip into them when you need them and the solar, you know, carries the peaks for you. So, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, don't get me started on micro-hydro. I don't see why not. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan, huge fan. And Very challenging in Australia. I've actually recommended a couple of friends uh, lately uh, to a couple of companies who I believe are still operating in Australia. A big shout out to Platypus Power. I think they're still going up in North Queensland. They have a wonderful little um, Australian-made, uh, they have DC and AC micro-hydros. Um, I think they're still using the same uh, beautiful, simple, stainless, tubular um design um with a uh, specializing in pelton wheels which are great for um low flows and high pressures so if you've got a spring or a creek and a big mountain um give them a buzz yeah that's great hey well look while we're talking about sort of various people we should mention um autonomous in- energy they've actually sort oh. of reappeared um management buyout led by uh, matthew Looney and um and a couple of other um simon mason the chief cfo ying zhu sam chappie Great, great survival story. Great survival story. I keep meaning to ring Maddie and and say g'day. And I posted a thing the other day and said, well done. You know, that's always amazing stories when you hear about a management buyout, because as they said in one of their stories, they've got so much passion um, uh, to to keep it afloat, to keep it rolling, to, you know, keep building on the good work that they've done. They're a terrific little company. So that's great news, isn't it? It is. Look, and and in fact, I thought it was a bit of We should get Matthew on. Let's get Why don't we get Matthew on? Let's get him on. Let's get him on. Let's get him on. Um, Matthew, you can Matthew, on. Um, yeah, come on now if you want. But this is pre-recorded, so you probably can't. But um, um, but um, I thought they're actually um heading AGL's way, but um, obviously they sort of either thought better than that or weren't offered enough or something. Well, let's uh, get him on and ask him. <laughs> we can get him on and ask him. And I mean, there's one thing that's for sure in times like this. You know, when there's a lot going on in the market, um, consolidation and mergers. Uh, happen. Um, I actually talked about this very topic on Great Solar Business um, in the last episode. It was all about mergers and acquisitions and how there's a lot of activity. That was a cracking one, actually. Um, Yes, yes. um, Yes, Anne got me to listen to that one, just sort of saying, Giles, listen to this. Um, Don't need to to micromanage. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to to the guru, Andrew McCarthy. Another another listener. I love it. I love it. It was a really interesting, there were some really little, good little gems in there for, for, you know, um, businesses thinking about those kinds of issues. Yeah. 
it was good. It was a beauty. Yeah, look, and, and look, yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably, um, and, and it's just just good to have just general interest. I mean, Andrew um, speaks um, really well, and um, just the sort of insights about life in general and um, solid business in particular are always pretty informative. They are. They're, they're, and he's very generous with with what he's learned along the way, which is what I love about great solar business. It's getting people to be a little bit generous and share some of those lessons. So you know, all all solar businesses can learn from each other. Absolutely. Um, what else we got happening on? Oh, look, we, there's there's movements in the solar tax last week. They the, oh, um, the regulator. Oh, I'm not too sure why we didn't have that as top of the end, top subject really. But um, there you go. But it's a funny one, Nigel. I mean, you know, yep. Um, yep. Um, I can't, I, I can't sort of wholeheartedly rule it out as a really dumb idea. But I just can't actually see. Um, I haven't actually been convinced yet of the actual need for it. One because, um, as some people point out, there's actually solutions to out there, such as sort of you know dynamic. Um, what did you say at the start of dynamic, the dynamic export exports? control? Mm-hmm. Dynamic export control. Um, for a start, plus the fact that um, was a really big problem in the first place because you know the amount of money that needs to be spent on the grid upgrade to sort of you know, accommodate sort of growing amounts of rooftop solar is not as nearly as much as many people might imagine it to be. In fact, it's just really a couple of percent on on on, um, on operating expenditure. And um, what really worries me is that we actually don't know what this is going to look at because it's going to change from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, from network to state, etc., etc., etc. And we're going to have a whole different package of different possibilities and things like that. And it's just going to confuse the hell out of people. And I thought that we're actually moving to a system which is actually going to make things easier and simpler and more easily, un- well, I repeat myself, more is understandable. You know, the old maxim from the old legacy um, companies of the past, confusion is profit. And I thought we just didn't actually want that. And um, so, um, yeah, it's... Um... I'm, with you. I'm with you on this one, you know, actually, because, you know, there's there's pros and cons um, to, to what's being discussed. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, at, at the end of the day... Um, at the end of the day, it's there are so many other ways to solve this problem that are probably actually going to be having more of an influence by the time this comes out than the tax itself. And the problem is that, you know, there are still holes in it. There, is, there are definitely some good things that I can see in it around sort of forcing disclosure around why export limits are in place and um, asking them to be justified and not um, being able to be arbitrarily applied, which is completely currently the case. So, you know, there is definitely some good stuff that's going to come out of it potentially. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the impact of it is really going to be a big administrative burden um and a whole lot of work uh, probably for a whole lot of lawyers and um you know the the cost impost on solars is going to be maybe 10% of their revenue or 5% of their revenue um on a for an average system size so it doesn't really change things very much so solar's just going to keep going in so you know well, well, I guess that we're looking about <laughs> Sorry, we just that's don't all right. Go ahead. That, that's what happens when I don't press the mute button. You see, I just sort of jump even over the top of you. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just speaking to myself. Um, the um, oh no, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Um, yeah, well, one of the problems is that we don't even know it, it. There is actually so many loopholes and exemptions. If the networks do actually find that there's an, a, a, an area that they need to be export limited, 
um, they can still apply for that to happen. And there's not, it's not entirely clear how much transparency and visibility we're going to have um, over that thing. And as you say, it's going to be a couple of years before we actually know what the tariffs look like and by the time they get approved by the Australian Energy Regulator, and it's probably going to be another five, six, seven years before some of those export limits are actually lifted. So, um, yes, I mean, to me, it kind of sums up in a lot of ways the problems, a lot of ways the problems with this whole sort of energy transition um, just, you know, a problem which probably should have been solved quite simply many, many years ago, we're still kind of wrestling with because we find it so hard to get across the rules and the regulations and the design of the market to actually sort of accommodate these new technologies. And it's just like sort of, you know, it's just, to me, it just sort of represents, there's just sort of the challenges we have on the market in this whole energy transition as a whole. Yeah, it's true, Giles. It's true, and 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 um, you know, the the question I think I'd come back to with this with this proposal is, you know, really, is this the biggest problem that we could be focusing our attention on solving? What problem is it we're solving here? You know, if it's a disparity of of um, um, you know, costs and incomes, um, which is kind of the basis of the argument uh, that you know we're not paying our way through the networks, and that networks are being you know somehow um, um, you know uh, having a, having a, having a negative impact, or it's sharing the costs incorrectly on consumers. That's all kind of one of many problems. Um, there are many values and many benefits that solar provides the network that that still aren't really recognised either in in some jurisdictions in many cases. So. You know, what problem we're really trying to solve with this? And on top of that, I'm just going to throw in one thing. It took 24 hours, Giles, 24 hours from the recent AEMC announcement about this for me to see a post on social media from a potential solar buyer saying, oh, we've seen that there may be a tax. And my husband highlighted to me that, you know, that probably just doesn't make solar worth buying anymore. So should we be pausing our decision? Mm. So that was in 24 hours. Mm. And we've, we know that consumers are easily confused by the impacts of these messages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many things that we could be doing. And in the middle of one of the toughest times that this industry has ever had, I would ask the question of the AMC as a government department, is this really helping to create consumer confidence in putting solar on? No, it is not. So it's actually not helping the industry in any way, shape or form right now to panic customers and tell them you're going to tax them. Hmm. Hmm. Kind of productive. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's no good. Hey, now, did you actually catch up with the ABC? Um, last time we were um, talking, um, there was the ABC 730 report um, about some of the issues in the solar industry. Yep. Nothing, no surprises, I guess, to... Um, from what we've been talking about on our sort of crap solar segment and we've written about um, enormously is probably um, there's a few cowboys out there and um, you need to have proper protections um, for that. Um, any other insights, Nigel? No, um, I, I, I think it, it, you're right. There was no big surprises in it. They highlighted, you know, some of the ways that you can get caught as a consumer. It was very sad to hear about people being stitched up and signed up to a finance deal with a system that wasn't working properly or properly or, you know, couldn't be connected or whatever the dramas were. And, you know, they were paying for a system that wasn't working. And, you know, that's the worst case scenario. That's that's terrible. And it does happen, unfortunately. And, you know, it's not easy for consumers to work out where to go. Um 
and who to trust and what to trust. And, and, you know, that does require some investment in time. It's about the only thing that you can do. And you can, it's amazing what you can find out by Googling a company and doing a bit of research or getting two or three quotes or looking for companies that you can have some, you know, uh, assurances about the level of support and where they're going to support you from. And, you know, I'm always an advocate for the local guy and, everything else and and you know there were on a related issue there was a really serious interesting series of posts on um on crap solar actually over the last week or so highlighting this challenge because the solar industry has one of the lowest barriers to entry of any industry sadly and we've got a you know carrot of rebates at the end so it attracts companies you want to create a company name giles 150 bucks basic website 1500 bucks, a couple of grand maybe. Uh, virtual office in a esteemed address, $45 a month. I'll give you a, a, an office, a um, dollar a letter to handle your mail from there. Boom, you've got a business, you're in the business. And, and what we're starting to see now, perhaps not unsurprisingly, but to the great confusion of end users, is that you, know, you can start a solar company or in fact start a solar company and then rebrand it or create four or five or 10 brands for that company for not very much investment, right? And so consumers are going to buy from companies who they think might be different, but they're actually the same company um, operating out of the same address, even uh, as one avid poster found out. In fact, she discovered eight solar companies all at the exact same physical address in this particular case in WA. So, you know, it is tricky for consumers. I think the ABC show was a good reminder to, you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware, um, do some research. It doesn't take that long. It's well worth doing and, um, you know, be careful. Absolutely. Now, have you got anything else from the um, Crap Solar segment? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. Oh, well, no, actually, sorry. Yes, I will. I'll throw on one other good one because it kind of falls in the Crap Solar bucket, and that is reusing solar panels. Um, uh, again, this was another suggestion from, from Gavin Gilchrist, my friend of the inner West, who was highlighting that rather than solar panels going into, there's been a lot of talk about recycling, which is great. Terrific to see the industry coming along, but there is actually a conversation to be had about whether solar panels could be reused. And the guys in the inner West community solar program have been trying really hard to do this. And they've actually successfully redeployed some, you can do it in some situations, bit of fiddling around, but can be done in some situations. And there's potential a lot of panels coming off roofs that are you know worth taking off now to just upgrade and do a great big huge flash modern system but they still have a life and um so yeah i thought that was a really interesting crap solar discussion is could we be is there is it time for a conversation on the reuse of secondhand solar panels in a, in a more productive way other than recycling yeah, we actually had a couple of stories in the last week, actually, about various people sort of talk, um, sort of looking to build up the sort of the solar recycling facilities, and um, and battery recycling is also becoming a major issue um, now, so or a growing issue. In fact, um, it should really be all recycling. Australia doesn't really do a very good job of recycling very much at all. Um, it sends most of its stuff overseas. Um, in fact, there was a really interesting AC, ABC program the other day about um, recycling secondhand clothes. Oh, I saw that. Oh. That was that blew my mind. I know all this that stuff that we send down to to Vinnie's, or well, I'm not singling out Vinnie's, but other ones, and um, ends up on landfill in African 
in Ghana. Ghana. Absolutely. In Ghana yes. villages, mate. It was appalling. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe reusing solar panels and having that discussion is um, something people can do. Because, yeah, waste is a problem. Waste is a problem. Absolutely. Um, what about dynamic export controls? We haven't even touched on that yet. Tell me everything. Well, <laughs> how many weeks till Christmas? There's not that many weeks till Christmas, right? It's, uh, <laughs> you've got you've got a note here saying it's 46 weeks to, until dynamic export. So we've got the time. It's going to be about half that. It's going to be so it's only 20 weeks till Christmas, right? And then we're all going to need a break for goodness sake after this year. And then it's only another 26 weeks, 46 in total until dynamic export control does come into play in South Australia. So this was part of the suite of changes that resulted in the relevant agent requirement in South Australia, which is um, chugging away, um, I have to say, chugging away. And dynamic export controls were hoped to be brought in um, in July this year. It's been delayed for about a year. Um, there's been some pilot trials going on. I was chatting to someone who was around, uh, involved around the fringes of some of that stuff, actually, saying, talking about some of the challenges they've had. So, you know, there's some lessons being learned, and I think ultimately dynamic export control was a bit, was a bit soon to get it in July 1. So um, July 1 next year. But that'll be on us in no time flat. And, um, you know, where, as you know, Giles, uh, Solar Analytics are a relevant agent, secret relevant agent, Morris, they call me. And um, they ring me. I'm in dark glasses and a hat and we turn shit on and off. And um, we really want to get to the dynamic export control stuff, actually, because that's where it gets really clever and we can actually benefit both users and networks in, in a more intelligent way. So, yeah, that is going to come now. The guidelines have been released. Um, shout out to Finn uh, Peacock and his team at SolarQuotes for uh, having, that, having that info up so quick. Well, so tell me how that's going to be different to um, from dynamic exports to um, from just these sort of the solar relevant agent. Yeah, oh so. well, it's quite different because what that means is, you know, at the moment, if uh, if we get an instruction as a relevant agent, uh, I'm sitting there with my glasses and hat on, and and you know, we get the call, relevant agent Morris, uh, will you please switch off, you know, five thousand solar systems down in South Australia under your obligations as a relevant agent for two hours, for example? Mm-hmm. I have to turn the inverters off. I, I have to zero them. I, they can't produce energy and um, that's what the rule allows for right now it's only happened a few times hasn't resulted in massive impacts which is great but of course the, the theory is that this will get potentially riskier and riskier and have to happen more and more in the future dynamic export control instead allows me to not just turn the inverter off but actually flip it into a different mode that allows the consumer to self-consume as much of that energy as they can possibly absorb. So turn your air conditioner on, turn your washing machine on, turn your, turn everything on that you possibly can and consume that solar energy and let the inverter follow the load so that no energy is exported, but you can consume as much as you like from the solar system. And to allow that to happen automatically means that consumers aren't inconvenienced. They still get their savings. They might do a manual load shift but that's all done in concert with what the grid requires so it's kind of cool and it'll um it'll protect the savings of solar owners uh, who are affected oh that sounds pretty good that sounds um a step forward from this sort of this sort of uh, blunt switch off thing and exactly it's probably where we're all headed um anyway it's inevitable Um, it's inevitably where yeah 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 yeah. Mm. just 46 weeks to go it's 46 (laughs) It's like 
Yeah, they're not like dog ears at the moment. They're the opposite of dog ears, whatever they're cat ears or something. I know, it's just, just watching yeah. the calendar just was spinning past in front of our eyes. You're just going, oh, really? It's already mid-August? I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And, you know, that's... <laughs> I thought um, it was early February. <laughs> talking about the, um, you know, the smart stuff that's going on, another uh, plug for Great Solar Business uh, coming up episode. Um, by the time this comes out, it'll only be a few days away. Uh, we've got a really interesting chat with um, the guys from Frone we actually got onto Hans over in Austria and mm. had an international discussion about the future of inverters in Australia. And we were talking a lot about these, you know, new rules that are coming in and, and what role inverters are going to play. We talked about our integration project that we've announced this week. So Solar Analytics and Fronius now have an integrated offering in the market. So we can, like we've already got with SunGrow, we can now also um, uh, uh, provide monitoring services and a whole bunch of other features over the top of a Fronius inverter installation uh, and a SunGrow installation or we can use our new our, our existing hardware uh, so there's a bunch of ways that we can do that and looking at the future and understanding how the, the smarter role that technology is going to play it's 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 already happening it's happening around us, you know it's cool yeah good one good one and it's supposed to be a bit of wrap up with a bit of electric vehicle news um tell us more about your live wire well you know all I say is I love you Harley Davidson <laughs> Please don't ring me. <laughs> Just don't ring me. <laughs> because bless them, uh, they have not made the phone call to say, can you please bring that live wire back? So I am continue to be the gracious, humble uh recipient of a lone Harley Livewire. I ride it as many in fact, over the weekend, Giles, I actually went riding five times. Um, I covered a total of about oh, close to three hundred kilometers. Um, and I was quite sore by Sunday. I had a bit of a moan about how sore I was because I traveled, traveled so many kilometers. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to make the most of it before I have to give it back because Mate, that, that, that lockdown's not going to end anytime soon. I mean, you might actually sort of be the legal owner by the time this all finishes, just having it so long. Well, you know, I still have, I have a thousand K road trip. I want to do the longest road trip in Australia's history ever. Probably the first longest road trip on a Harley Livewire in the country. That's my goal. That's what I live for, Giles. And if Harley would just leave it with me until lockdown ends so that I can get out of Sydney and do it, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do the first thousand K road trip. And if it needs to be longer, I'll make it longer. Right. So just leave it. Don't Where ring. Where are you going to go, Nigel? Because you're probably not going to be able to get out of New South Wales anytime soon. Well, fortunately, Giles, there is a um, within New South Wales loop of a thousand kilometres that I've already mapped out very courteously on uh, <laughs> one of the electric vehicle mapping websites where I've adequately planned a trip that allows me to hop from fast charging station to fast charging station out west of Sydney, do a big loop, come back down through um, southern New South Wales, um, back up um, along the traditional charging routes. There's a few new charging stations that have just opened up that really help. Um, I've still got a couple of gaps. So I'm still going to be pushing it to the limit, but uh, I'm going. I'm going. About a thousand k's. I'll do it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, there you go. Um, Nigel, it might be... Um, well, we should actually... Sort of might, be time. <laughs> might be time. Might be time. It might be time. We're going to have to thank our sponsors, um, Solar Analytics, SunWiz, and Clinergy for their ongoing support. Um, we have to thank all our listeners, sure. everyone out there. Thank you very much. Thanks to you, Nigel. Don't forget um, Great Solar Business. Um, uh, last week's episodes, if you haven't already heard it, with um, Andrew McCarthy. Next week's with Fronius. Fronius. 
yeah. talking about inverters, mm. and um, and also Energy Insiders. Uh, there's been some good interviews there recently. The Driven. And the, the Driven's driven been going off. Great YouTube video that went up the other day. Oh, who did that? <laughs> it has the gone off. Wait, the, driven's, the Driven's actually gone off. It's actually overtaken Renew Economy now in terms of um, readership. Is that right? Yep. We're yep. relegated into insignificance yet again. Well, we're going to need, we're gonna no, need fresh no, 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 no. Renew Economy is still growing and it's still highly um, relevant, but um, the Driven's is growing even faster. It's just, surge, it's just surging ahead. It's just soaring. I just think so many people out there um, just want to buy it. They're still saying that um, the next car is going to be an EV. They're going to hang yeah. on to whatever it is that they've got now for as long as they yeah. can. The Osborne effect. I was the reading Osborne about the effect. Osborne effect. It's a great theory. I love it. It's true, actually. The more people I think about, I've had conversations with, and it is the Osborne. In fact, I'm I'm a victim of it. I'm a victim of it. <laughs> well, actually, Tesla's sort of been, because um, I mean, Bryce's story is actually really good because it's just sort of talking about um, the Osborne effect, which is this idea that you know, people are not going to buy anything because they're going to wait for the, the better model next mm-hmm. time. And, and he talks about how Tesla's had this massive impact on the whole car market, which has basically been in, in free fall since about 2017, although had a bit of a blip up this year, but basically still below 2019 levels. Um, so... Um, um, but but Tesla, for instance, its strategy in Australia, the Model Y is not yet here, but it hasn't even opened it to orders, which basically means that people go to the Tesla website, I want to buy an EV. So the only thing that's available, I mean, apart from the really expensive early models, is the Model 3, and that's what they've been doing. So they've been shipping thousands and thousands of these in the last couple of months. But uh, the Model Y, um, yeah, because they probably worry that once the Model Y is available, then the Model 3 will drop off. So interesting strategy. It is interesting. It is interesting. But, I, you know, you can smell it, Giles. You can smell it. The EV market is about to explode like the solar market did. You can smell it in the air. Well, the good thing about electric vehicles is you can't smell them in the air because they don't pollute like all that well, it's a nice smell. crap. It's a nice <laughs> smell. <laughs> I'm, getting really, I'm getting really sick of people idling. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go and going to launch idling anti, at me. Yeah. this anti and this anti idling campaign. Would you, just you should turn off, please. Imagine you know? how hard it is when you've got a Harley Davidson Livewire 2020 model. Uh, it's awesome. But uh, you're sitting at the lights surrounded by cars just with your helmet and you're just yeah. listening to all this racket and all this. I've got no, there's no bloody noxious fume filtration on a live wire. I have to say, Giles, you know, you can filter all that crap out. I'm sitting there right in it. So, you know, I hear you. Anyway. Well, look, we they're actually talking they're actually talking about banning idling um outside schools. Because if you look at schools now, in the old days when when you and I went to school, which was eons ago, we'd either be walking or riding our bicycles or doing whatever. And um now um no one walks, no one rides their bikes. Even when I took my my son to my son Sam to secondary school and I asked the principal, I said, Well, where's the where's the where's the bike rack? Oh, no, one of those. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, can you walk? No, 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 no. Go and take the car. And that's what they do now. You just go to the old schools and there's just like this row of giant SUVs all just sort of piled on around, going around the corner and all just sitting there idling. And they're talking actually banning them now because they actually realise what damage that is doing to the air and to the respiratory systems of their young darlings. Good grief. There you go. It's happening, Nigel. It's happening. It's happening. An, anti, an anti-idling rule. Coming soon. There you go. There, there you go. go. Well, all more reasons why we're going to get more EVs. 
Absolutely. Nigel, it's been a pleasure once again. Um, thanks, everyone. Thanks once again to our listeners. Uh, to our listeners. Of course, no, to our listeners, of course. Every one of you. All of you. Both of you. Um, and to our um, sponsors. Thanks, Mum. Solar Analytics, Sun News, and Kevin G once again. And we'll be back again in a fortnight. Don't forget Nigel's Christmas. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sumwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, helping solar retailers deliver more value, win happier customers and generate more sales through referrals and upsell. Get more from solar, visit solaranalytics.com.au.